You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Soprano Anna Christie is backstage at Lyric. The minute the music starts, I am absolutely transported. I mean, all of a sudden, you're not in your seat anymore. There's a whole other world that's being created right in front of your eyes. And I, it mainly has to do with the music. And in this particular production, too, I mean, it's so eerie in a way when you almost see the air moving and the fairies come on and, and you kind of wonder... <laughs> You know you're sitting at, in Chicago at the Lyric Opera, but you wonder what's going on. And I, I just have this feeling of being transported to another planet. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. American soprano Anna Christie is back at Lyric this season to sing Titania in the company premiere of Britain's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Anna has had two wonderful successes with us as Muffin in the world premiere of William Bolcom's A Wedding during our 50th anniversary season, and then as Sister Constance in the company premiere of Poulenc's Dialogues of the Carmelites. In the past few seasons, Anna scored triumphs and roles as wildly different as Donizetti's Lucia and Cunegonde in Bernstein's Candide. She sung with major companies, including La Scala, Covent Garden, the English National Opera, and Paris's Chatelet. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Anna about the challenges of A Midsummer Night's Dream and also about her other experiences in contemporary opera. Before we get to the interview, here's a brief synopsis of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Helena loves Demetrius. Demetrius loves Hermia. And Hermia and Lysander love each other. Hermia's father has ordered her to marry Demetrius, so Hermia and Lysander have fled to the forest, where Helena and Demetrius follow them in hot pursuit. Meanwhile, Oberon, the fairy king, has a serious argument with his queen, Titania. Oberon attempts to get the better of her by sprinkling the juice from a magic flower on the sleeping Titania's eyes to make her love the first person she sees when she awakens. This turns out to be Bottom the Weaver. He's in the forest with his friends, rehearsing a play intended for Duke Theseus's wedding. The problem is that, to amuse himself, Oberon's mischievous attendant, Puck, has magically put a donkey's head on bottom. After observing the four mortal lovers, Oberon orders Puck to use the magic flower to turn Demetrius's attention to Helena. Puck sprinkles the flower on the wrong eyes, the result being that Demetrius and Lysander now both love Helena. The situation is finally resolved. Hermia and Lysander are united, as are Helena and Demetrius, as well as Oberon and Titania. Bottom and his fellow tradesmen perform their very amusing play for the wedding of Duke Theseus to Queen Hippolyta. In retiring for the night, all are oblivious to the presence of the fairies, as the fairy king and queen bless the house. Now, here's my conversation with Anna Christie. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Anna Christie, who is back at Lyric Opera to sing Titania in A Midsummer Night's Dream, Lyric Opera premiere. Welcome back. Yay, thank you. Happy to be back. How do you respond to this opera 
as a whole, if you were watching it from the audience, what do you think would be the strongest impression that you would have of it? I think um, the minute the music starts, I am absolutely transported. I mean, all of a sudden, you're not in your seat anymore. There's a whole other world that's being created right in front of your eyes. And I, it mainly has to do with the music. And in this particular production, too, I mean, it's so eerie in a way when you almost see the air moving and the fairies come on and, and you kind of wonder. <laughs> you know you're sitting at, in Chicago at the Lyric Opera, but you wonder what's going on. And I, I just have this feeling of being transported to another planet. Now, I know that David Daniels as Oberon is going to be flying yes. in this production, <laughs> or, or at least be, several feet above the stage. Are oh, you? Yes. But do you have your feet on the ground the whole time? I do, and it's mainly because I have these beautiful, long, I mean, I can't even tell you how many feet they are because I don't look behind me very often, but I know I have, I have four young boys who trail me everywhere with my train. <laughs> That's how long and big and beautiful it is. Wow. So I'm quite grounded, actually, and I, um, it kind of limits my, my movement a little bit. Um, but it doesn't bother me. It's so beautiful and ethereal in that way. What color is it? Kind of green and blue and white, and when they all mix together, it makes this... <laughs> do you have a headdress of some kind? Or? I do. It's I'm. I think the idea was kind of a a bird, an exotic bird, and so I have these huge, this, these feathers, and um, it's big and beautiful. Wow. What kind of lady is she? I mean, she's pretty assertive, isn't she? She is, and it's interesting because when she, the opera begins, she's in this massive argument with the king, her, her, her king, and um, they're basically having this really big lover spat over, over a little boy, and um, you get this almost vicious kind of this fight between them, and then he enchants her to fall in love with, with a donkey, <laughs> and you see this warm, soft, just loving Titania and so you see many sides of her I think they're so interesting you said to me when we talked about her the first time that you play her differently now I from do. how you played her the first two times mm -hmm. that you did it you've done the role at Central City Opera was that uh -huh. right? My, I think the first time was at Wolf, Wolf Trap, Trap Opera. And, and the second time was in Central City so it's yeah so how how is she different now well I'm a mother now so I see <laughs> it's funny um, my daughter's not quite two, and she's obviously at the apartment when I'm in rehearsal. But I miss her so much during rehearsal because I'm surrounded by children. <laughs> and it just makes me want to bring her and have her be a fairy. Or, um, but all these wonderful, wonderful kids who are in the production with us are so fantastic. They're fantastic singers. They're so disciplined in their art and they're focused. It's really wonderful. You have, I think one of the most beautiful pieces to sing that Britain ever wrote for mm -hmm. a soprano, um, which is your your second entrance, end of Act One, Come Now, Arundel, mm -hmm. which usually starts from off stage. Yep. Is that that's what happens here? Yes. Well, how does it feel to sing something <laughs> like that? It's just, it's so ravishing. Well, you just, um, 
it's like you're creating a mood. You know, you're creating the mood for yourself to fall asleep. You're enchanting everyone to calm down. It's the it's the end of the. I mean, it's time now for us to sing our lullaby, and it's just it it kind of casts this aura over the over the scene, and um, I just kind of focus on that. I do love singing it. It's beautiful. And then she has a short aria to sing in Act Two, which is very different. What is going on there? Right, she's um, telling her her new love, this donkey, <laughs> all the things her fairies will bring him, and the joys that a life with Titania will bring. <laughs> and it's it's much more upbeat and happy. So, how is our director Neil Armfield working? Th- what? can be a fairly awkward scene of Titania being wooed by this donkey and being completely enraptured by him. How does that work on stage? <laughs> well, actually, you know, um, Titania's wooing him in her own very special way, which is kind of assertive. You know, he tries to run off and she goes, oh, no, 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 no. You're staying with me. <laughs> don't you even try to go away because you don't want to know what happens if you do. <laughs> So how does she make him stay with her? Oh, she casts a spell on him, of course. Okay. You'll see. (laughs) (laughs) There's an episode in Act 3 between you and Oberon where I think it's indicated in the score that you're supposed to dance Mm -hmm. together, Mm -hmm. um, which makes me want to ask, what is movement like for you in this production? Because... Fairies are fairies, and mortals are mortals, and they can't move exactly the same way. No, it's true. They did um, what they kind of choreographed for us in that scene. It took us a little while to get it, actually, and we're just kind of now starting to feel like we've figured it out because um, it is different for us. And uh, I was it yesterday or a couple of days ago, we ran that scene on stage, and we thought, oh, that's the best we've ever done. I think we're finally getting it now. <laughs> but it's different. What kind of movement it's is just, involved? It's just um, in a in a way that you wouldn't expect to put your hands together or to come together in an embrace. It just was not what we expected. It's just in different positions. So, um, but I think it's very interesting. Now, tell me about your work with David Daniels in this production because I imagine you must have fantastic chemistry. <laughs> I would like to think so. I, I certainly and really enjoy working with him, and um, we walk home together after rehearsal every, almost every day. And that kind of he just creates a camaraderie and and is and is um, helpful in rehearsal and on stage. And also the other thing is in this particular, it's a very ensemble piece, but we really don't see the lovers or the mechanicals often at all. It's very episodic, isn't it's it? It's so episodic, and and any time that it. It does mix. It's not for very long. So essentially, we're always together. And um, actually, Oberon is, sees the others more often than I do. And I see the fairies more than he does. But um, most of my scenes are not with anyone but him or with Bottom or the fairies. You mentioned that you're surrounded by kids mm-hmm. in this, these fairies. And you played a fairy yourself. I did. <laughs> you were 10? I was 10. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Uh, It was Gordon Davidson's um, production. It was new the year that I did it. And um, it was in the sixth grade. I was 10 years old. And and, uh, they really beat this music into us. It's the only way to learn it. 
and uh, I still I the other day when we were running scenes for Puck on stage and the kids weren't called to that rehearsal because they were at school um, I sang all of the kids stuff because I remembered it all oh those words and those notes are so difficult and you never forget them. No, I don't know when they beat it into you like that. <laughs> well, how did you, as a child on the stage in this piece, respond to it at that time? Well, there was definitely a magical um, thing about it. And, and, and we obviously were kind of stuck to Titania, right? And she had this, I just remember this beautiful, huge, tall dress with sparkles in it. And she had sparkles all over the place. And I just remember thinking that was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and our costumes were adorable. And we had little wings, just like these kids do. And it's just, it's just a great show for kids. Was that your first time on a professional stage? No, that, that year I had already sung in La Boheme. And after that, I was in the children's chorus for, for Otello. But those were the only three that I did that year. I think after that... Um, I didn't. I think I got busy with things. But was know. this sort of spark ignited Absolutely. at that time? It was. Yeah. yeah, I was in the wings um, in La Boheme watching Tom Hampson and Domingo, and just thinking it was the. I had a huge crush on Mr. Hampson. <laughs> Any scene he was in, I was in the wings just watching. <laughs> Um, you've had two very contrasting experiences at Lyric, although they were both in contemporary opera. Mm -hmm. You came to us as Constance, Dialogues of the Carmelites, and yes. before that... No, no, that wasn't first. That no, second. First yeah. was Muffin in the world premiere mm -hmm. of A, a wedding. wedding. So what do you most fondly remember about those engagements? Well, I just love working here. This is such a fantastic... It's like a family every time you come back to Chicago in Lyric. It really is. I'm not just saying that. It's totally different from... Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, what I remember most about a wedding was that it literally was like having a party on stage every single night with all your friends. Oh, and there's an audience out there, too. And, oh, maybe I'll sing a few notes here and there. But really, I mean, we had... There was an actual alcohol on stage, but there, there were champagne flutes with, so, with ginger ale in them, and we had actual cake with icing and... Music, live music. There's a band on stage. I mean, it was just a ball. We had so much fun. I hope that kind of translated across the orchestra pit. <laughs> but um, and then Carmelites, uh, and, and we didn't have a party because I mean it was so sad at the end. But it was just this wonderful group of women, such amazing singers, and really strong ensemble feeling. It was just a great show. You've been in two other major world premieres besides a wedding. Mm -hmm. You were in Madame Mao, first mm -hmm. in Santa Fe, and then in American Tragedy at the Met. Mm -hmm. What is most sort of illuminating and th thrilling about working with living composers? Wow. Well, um, it's interesting when I think all three of them, no, actually, Bright Shang didn't know that I was going to be singing it when he wrote it. Madame Mao. Right. So all three of those pieces, all three of the roles were fairly high lying. And um, in a wedding, I remember Bill wrote this gorgeous, gorgeous ending, and it ended on an F. <laughs> I said, Bill, you know, I can sing that, but it's not going to be the kind of, I don't think it's going to be as pretty or as quite as the feeling that you want at the end of that. Could we just maybe <laughs> tweak that a little bit for me? Would you mind? <laughs> what he did was, he do? He was like, of course! <laughs> and he changed it for me and it was, I think, much more 
suitable for my voice and just beautiful in its own right. So I was um, very grateful that the composer was there and he was willing to to work with with a soprano on that. So um, and and then in American Tragedy, that was an awfully high role too, wasn't it? What 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 I had heard what happened with that was that Gene Shear, who wrote the who wrote the libretto for that, is a is a dear friend of mine, and he told Tobias Picker that um, I would be perfect for the role, blah blah blah, and and that what kind of singer I was, and I think Mr. Picker actually made it even higher than it was originally. I could be totally wrong, but I had, that's kind of what the impression that I had gotten from Jean. So I think that's kind of fun, that um, a living composer, especially, you know, all these such... I, high, I hold all of them in such high esteem. They're such... They're wonderful. Um, would change something knowing that I had the notes to do that. <laughs> so a lot of repertoire of yours is actually in English, correct? I guess so. I never really sit down and think because about Candide it. Because Candide is very important in your life, mm-hmm. the role of Cunegonde, mm-hmm. and these um, operas, uh, well, Madame Mao, American Tragedy, A Wedding, I mean, these are all in English. Does singing in English give you particular satisfaction? Or? Gosh, I, I, I can't really point to anything specific. I can't say that I prefer singing in English over Italian or French, but... Um, I do like very much to sing in English. It's, there's obviously an immediacy there if it's your your native tongue, um, but I wouldn't necessarily put it over the other languages. I think it's just kind of a coincidence that a lot of the roles that I've been singing, especially recently, happen to be in English. What was interesting also is that you made your role debut as Lucia, mm-hmm. classic bel canto role, goal for probably every one in your vo- vocal category. Mm-hmm. You sang your first Lucia in the English language, too. Well, actually, my first oh, Lucia first. was at Opera Omaha oh, sorry in Italian. That. So when I um, did come around to sing it in London, it was in English and in the original keys, which were higher. Ah, of course, right. So that, it was almost completely different mm-hmm. singing mm-hmm. the whole thing was felt very different what you did in london got a lot of attention mm-hmm. from the press i think mm-hmm. i saw probably 15 reviews <laughs> of it and it was clearly a lucia with a difference and a great triumph for you Thank what you. made it a lucia that was so the production uh, what made it so exec- exceptional um well i Obviously, I can't um, point to anything in my singing because I, I just go out there and do it. But I know that the production itself is really, I think, goes right to the heart of what Lucia is about, which is a vulnerable young girl. It's it, the, That particular production in the show wasn't about a vehicle for the soprano it just wasn't and I didn't want it to be I wanted it to be and David wanted it to, David Alden wanted it to be you know it, my father actually said it was like going to the theater not going to the opera it was like watching a play because it wasn't about just the singing it was about the drama and um, there was something so eerie and almost sick because it's true the story is there's something, if you look into it, there's something a little perverse and sick about the sadness in that in that piece. And um, he really got to the heart of it. And I think that's why, I mean, it was so shocking in a way, I think, to watch. 
does an experience like that? I mean, you're all you were already, I think, uh, quite a fearless performer before you walked into that mm-hmm. experience. I imagine it must have somehow strengthened you as a performer in a lot of ways. I imagine. I, I do. Per, I do think. And I thought this when I sang in, in Omaha too. Lucia is one of my favorite roles because of that. She has this huge breadth of dramatic opportunity, and. Um, Sure, she also has this huge breadth of vocal opportunity, but I prefer to think of it as dramatic. And in David's production as well, it was the same thing. She starts out as this so innocent, yet highly impressionable, yet, you know, all the things that she should be, and then she goes to this very dark place. I think that's very fun. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I sing a lot of ingenues, and that's something I was born to do, so when I get the opportunity to go to the dark side, I definitely go. What is it like being a mom and being a soprano with an international career? I mean, you haven't had that much time to oh, to think about all of that yet. I mean, because you said your daughter's not quite two? Not quite two. She'll yeah. be two in December. No, I've been dragging her all over the world with me. <laughs> and eventually, I suppose that will need to stop. Um, and we'll work out something else. But uh, for now, I, she really, I don't think, knows. It's kind of like my dog who used to travel with me before she was born. Um, they don't know that other... It, it's like, doesn't every child go to Paris when they're four months old? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. They just don't know any different. So that's just... The, I, I can't promise that her life is going to be normal, but I can promise that it will be interesting and full of love regardless. Well, on that very positive <laughs> note, I want to thank you so much. Have a wonderful time in this midsummer. I will. Time. Thank you. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.